Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. It's time running out for pensions tax relief. But Chancellor Sajid Javid is reported to be considering a major shake-up of this £40 billion tax break at the budget in a month's time. The FT's Joe Cumbo is here to give her views on what form this could take. And while we're on the theme of budget savings, what about the £2 billion cost of paying the winter fuel allowance? Worth up to £300 per year to most pensioners, this universal benefit is paid whether you're a millionaire or in genuine fuel poverty. The think tank, the Social Market Foundation, has come up with an alternative solution. And seeing as we're going with the theme of worry this week, well, what about house prices? There has been some positive sentiment in recent surveys, but our resident property guru, James Pickford, has been looking at how the next property cycle could turn out. Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's weekly podcast about personal finance and investing. I'm Claire Barrett, FT Money Editor, bringing you all of this week's money news. The £40 billion cost of pensions tax relief is in the Treasury sites ahead of the budget next month, with reports that the Chancellor is considering scrapping higher rates of relief for Britain's wealthiest. This could generate a potential £10 billion annual saving, but of course if it goes ahead, it would hit the retirement plans of millions of savers and horrify the Conservative Party's core voters. Joining me now is Josephine Cumbo, the FT's pensions correspondent. So Joe. The problem with pensions tax relief is that the wealthy are the ones who benefit the most from it. Yes, tax relief is given to us to incentivise us to lock away our money for the long term. But currently, the lion's share of those £40 billion worth of tax relief, the tax incentives, are going to the best paid in the country and arguably not those who need it most to help build up an adequate pot for retirement. So, as you said, the current bill to the Treasury from pension tax relief or the loss of upfront income taxes around £40 billion a year. And that includes employees not having to pay national insurance contributions on what they pay into a pension on behalf on, of their employee. Mm-hmm. Currently, the system works so that you get upfront tax relief on what you pay into a pension, with this tax relief given at the same rate you pay tax. So if you're a basic rate taxpayer, you get 20% relief on your contributions and 40% if you are a higher earner. Now, of course, there are separate rates in Scotland which apply on income tax and pension uh, tax relief. But basic rate taxpayers currently make up more than half of the total contributions into pensions each year, but only receive a third of tax relief apportioned. So around two thirds of the relief goes to higher earners. So you can see the ratio there is very much skewed 
to higher earners. But on the surface, even though the system does look as though the higher earners are benefiting disproportionately, we must point out that tax is recouped when those pensions are paid. And last year, in 2017-18, the last figures that we have, around $18 was in tax was received by the government on pensions in payment. So the system, the government does get some of that tax back, but not enough to sort of counter what they're paying out currently. So if there was a removal of high rate relief, what it would result in is higher earners are, are paying more tax. Their tax bills are going to increase or their pension pots aren't going to grow as fast. So yes, understandably, there will be some protests from higher earners about changes to the current system. Well, certainly there was shock and awe in the comments um, underneath your piece last weekend. But in the days that have followed that, how likely do you think it is that the Chancellor will announce such a big shake-up at the budget next month? I think there is a real reasonable chance that we will see changes in the budget because Treasury insiders have confirmed to the FT that the Chancellor is considering reforms that would hit the better off and ease pressure on strained public finances. And pensions tax relief is low-hanging fruit in that area. Now, we know pensions tax relief is one of the areas under scrutiny. Restricting tax relief on pension contributions to 20% compared with 40% enjoyed uh, by high-rate taxpayers could raise around £10 billion extra a year for the Chancellor. So this does look rather tempting. Now, the Treasury has yet to reach a final decision on what will be included in the March 11 budget. It's really important to say that there haven't been anything sort of decided as yet, but it will be a real test of whether the Prime Minister is willing to increase taxes on traditional Tory voters, including millions in the party's southern England heartlands, to help new Conservative supporters in the North. Oh, yes, the levelling up. Well, I mean, the last time such radical plans um, for pensions were mooted was under George Osborne. And, you know, a few years ago, there was talk of replacing pensions with a pensions ISA or a single flat rate of around 30%. Now, do you think either of those plans could yet be reheated? The last time the government considered major changes in 2016, there was a consultation on turning pensions into ISA-style taxed savings vehicles and a single rate of tax of around 30%, basically one tax for all. Now, these were major changes to the system that would require a big shake-up. The government did not proceed with the changes at the time because there was a lack of consensus. Um, A lot of that was driven by Tory backbenchers really worried and concerned about a backlash from their voters because it would result in the loss of high rate tax relief and they just were not keen on doing it. So that plan didn't go anywhere. But I think the political situation has changed somewhat now with the government being in a commanding position um, in terms of the majority they have in parliament. They've got 80 seats in advance, so they're in a better position to push through radical changes. And of course, what I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, they've got a change in their voter base now. They're they're not just um, backed by... um, traditional Tory voters in in their heartlands. They've got a different uh, voter base to consider now. So if they were going to consider something more radical, such as switching or getting rid of high rate relief, I think now would be the opportune time to have a go at it. But probably more likely to announce a review or a consultation rather than make any sudden change. I think that there would be a review because these changes are so massive that they couldn't do a pension freedom style 
um, announcement and push ahead with anything, that they would have to get the industry's opinion and, and, and from broadly from, from the community about how they would be impacted. And finally, the other big nightmare for the Chancellor when it comes to pensions is the taper, which has produced some very unintended consequences in the NHS, as you've been reporting. What are your thoughts on that? The Chancellor has pledged to announce or unveil a solution to this problem, which has been dogging the NHS and leading to patients waiting longer for surgery and for treatment. And that's got to do with doctors getting big tax bills for working overtime. And that comes back to changes the government has made to the annual allowance, specifically the introduction of the tapered annual allowance. Now, this affects not just NHS doctors, but all higher earners, um, in the private sector as well. The government has stalled on fixing this problem because they've wanted to contain it to the NHS. They haven't wanted to get rid of this taper or the changes to the annual allowance, which are drawing in a lot of money for them, a lot of savings in terms of um, tax revenue. So there has been one idea floated, and that is to increase the threshold at which the annual allowance taper kicks in for everybody. So that means fewer people would be caught by the annual allowance taper and see their allowance shrink from £40,000 to £10,000, for example. But the doctors' union and a lot of other um, public sector workers are calling for more wide-scale reform uh, across the sector or a view of the annual allowances, for example. So I think given the political situation with the NHS and just more generally calls for reform, that what we could see is just another temporary measure put in place to deal with the NHS, but a consultation launched on more fundamental changes to the system which might address more wide-scale concerns and challenges about the fairness and the costs of pensions tax relief. Well, a sticking plaster rather than an amputation of tax relief. Well, thanks very much there to Josephine Cumbo, the FT's pensions correspondent. You can read more on Joe's story now at ft.com slash money and check out my column in the Weekend FT this Saturday. It's time running out for pensions tax relief. Is it time to throw the UK's annual winter fuel payments onto the fire? Worth up to £300 a year to some pensioners, regardless of how wealthy they might be, this universal benefit is often more valuable than a free TV licence, and we all know what's happening to those. But a new study from a think tank suggests a bold new approach to the problem. James Kirkup is the director of the Social Market Foundation. He joins me now in the studio. Welcome, James. Good morning. So the research that the SMF has done does confirm that the winter fuel allowance is a poorly directed benefit, but it's a problem that previous governments have failed to tackle. Yeah, I mean, this is a remember this is a sort of Gordon Brown era policy from a time when there was quite a lot of money in the public finances. The ability, you know, governments could give away money fairly freely, um, which is exactly what they did. Um, so we now have a situation where you know, anyone over you know, anyone of pensionable age you know, can qualify. You know, qualifiers gets this payment. And we, we had a look at the numbers. Uh, we found that uh, 20% of the households receiving Winterfield payment have a total income of over £40,000. Now, if you if you are uh, receiving more than forty thousand uh, pounds as a year in retirement, um, you're doing pretty well, and you probably don't need 
frankly, uh, two, three hundred quid from you know, from the taxpayer. So we start to look at what might be done about that. I mean, this has been looked at before. People have explored you know, options for means testing and taxing, uh, and they all run into you know, a combination of political and administrative problems. So, you know, they're hard to sell to voters, and you know, bureaucratically speaking, the DLUP tends to say, can't do that, computer says no. So we thought, right, how do we get round these obstacles? Uh, and where we end up, in conjunction with our friends at the uh, the Rory and Elizabeth Brooks Foundation, is by a system of, where we're, we're proposing a system of voluntary forfeiture. Um, essentially, what we think should happen is that when you get your winter fuel payment, you should have a, a default option on the form, or yeah, the ability to say, actually, you know what, I don't need this. Um, please just send the money somewhere else. Send it off to some arm's length fund, a good causes fund to be run, you know, ultimately as a public, public, public body, um, but run away from government that can be used to do good in your community or good around the country, um, which is sort of, you know, um, uh, our attempt to square 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 several circles involved in this policy. Well, I was lucky enough to come into your office last week where we had a roundtable um, debate with lots of people from charitable and political backgrounds. And the sticking point seems to be with this benefit that it is possible if you are really determined to opt out of receiving <laughs> yes. the winter fuel payment, there is something on the DWP's um, website to do so. But I asked them how many people have actually managed to do this. And the answer for the last tax year was 150 out of around 12 million um, who are in receipt of the benefit. So what was interesting is that the proposal of if you don't want it, give it to charity could maybe elicit more people to give it back than simply unticking a box to say... I don't want it. Well, yeah, you know, our proposal is a combination of the two, in effect, because I mean, some people say just tax it. Essentially, find a way of the state keeping this money. Now, bluntly, that's not a very attractive option to a lot of people. If you give someone the option of you can send this money to a good cause, possibly a good cause of your own or of your own choosing, or you can send it back to the sinking fund. And this is you know, technically, if you want to return money to the government, you you have to check you write a check to the sinking fund to pay off some of the debts that we began running up in the Napoleonic Wars. Uh, it's very hard to give a government money. Um, uh, so you, you, then this is the attraction we think of of, of our our proposal that it, as well as you know, cracking this nut of um, a slightly poorly targeted universal benefit, it it does underpin and encourage philanthropy. Um, it makes it easier for people to send money to good causes, and there are lots of people we think um, who get this money. And quite a lot of them do give it away to charity. Um, but we're essentially about trying to make it easier for them to divert that money to a good cause. And certainly there are lots of charities who are um, set up to deal with fuel poverty, which of course isn't just experienced by pensioners, who specifically ask for people to donate their winter fuel payments around this time of year um, to help them. Now, Huge reaction um, from the readers online, as you might expect. Um, FT subscriber Get Off Me um, says that taxing the benefit would be the simplest solution. I have to say he is in line with Sir Steve Webb and um, Baroness Ros Altman, who both tweeted that they thought it should be added to the state pension and tax. Um, but he says that's a far too simple solution, of course, so it won't happen. In the meantime, I will use my fuel allowance to fill up the Land Rover. Um, and another FT subscriber, ABC, says if every person over a set age is entitled to a winter fuel payment, then every child under a certain age should still be entitled to child benefit. In the UK, I'm made to pay back 
back my two kids' child benefit because I am, in inverted commas, wealthy. What kind of country denies its children money based on either of their parents' income yet pays money to people to keep warm who could run their heating on full every minute of the day and not even notice the financial impact? I mean, those comments there kind of summing up the general view of many readers. Yeah, I mean, the, the taxing option, so from Steve Webb and Ros Altman, I mean, it, it, it does look simple. I mean, I, you, I haven't spoken to either, either Ros or Steve about this, but I would possibly ask them why it was when they were pensioners minister they, they didn't make that happen. Um, uh, yeah, there are yeah, there are answers to that. As they, you, you, partly, it, it's the politics of it. Um, also, there's, there's something slightly odd about the spect. There, there would be something slightly odd about the spectacle of the government giving people money and then taking some of that money back in tax. And I know that does happen with with the state pension. The state pension is taxed, but there you can just about see how that's justified if you treat the state income. Say, say if you treat the state pension as a form of earned and deferred income. No one bluntly has earned their winter fuel payment. It is a, it is a gift of government. And so taxing it seems a bit, yeah, seems a bit odd. Uh, and like I say, politically, yeah, very tricky. So we're trying, yeah, we, we think there's a, uh, a happy middle way uh, that can, yeah, can be uh, brought about here. And finally, James, I've got to ask you, do you think the Chancellor could be hotting up for a big announcement at the budgets on this? Um, we hope so. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, we, 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 We've we've made our proposals here to to to, to government and all all political parties. Um, I mean, I think the yeah, and this is part of the reason for, for for doing this. A lot of people in politics on all sides do instinctively realise that some of the big universal benefits, and not just winter fuel payment, triple lock, some of the other you know, policy decisions in this area are probably not the most rational use of scarce government resources. But they equally know that finding a way of politically untangling that and making reform palatable is very tricky. So obviously, we, you, I'm, I very much hope that uh, somebody in politics, we are uh, cross-party think tank, ideas open to all, uh, will pick this up and, uh, and run with it. And I will continue to uh, to make the case uh, wherever, wherever I can. Well, thanks very much there to James Kirkup, Director of the Social Market Foundation. You can read my column now in Inspired by the SMF's research, winter fuel payments, time to throw them on the fire on ft.com slash money. Timing the property cycle right plays a central role in whether property owners and investors make money when buying or selling a home. But what forces determine where prices are going next? New research exploring the price gap that's opened up between London and the rest of the UK shows that the property cycle is going through a pivotal stage. And the FT's James Pickford is here to tell us more. Welcome, James. Thank you. So this research that you've written about, what does it tell us about how the property cycle works? Well, it's quite interesting that the, the estate agent Savills um, did some research where they, they looked at all the local authorities in England and Wales and they matched up those where the house price changes were most closely correlated. And basically they came up with 13 different groups, not always in the same area, just about the closeness of the ups and downs in prices, not the absolute values of the houses. Um, so so the, the places that move most closely together, um, you, you have these 13 groups and it does seem to, as one might expect, spread in a, in a sort of wave-like form from uh, central London and out. And just to give you a sense of some of what, you know, what is in these groups, they put some quite, quite nice uh, characterised names on them. So you have Wealthy Metroland, <laughs> which is, I think, number three, which is St Albans, Wokingham, Windsor, those sort of commuting, core commuting areas. 
Then you have fringe commutes, places like Chichester, Bristol and Bath, which are, you know, you'd have to you'd have to probably struggle to, to, to get into London every day from there, but um, but they're, they're, they do well in property terms. And then at the very bottom, you have the challenged northern towns, um, uh, which is the name they've given to places like Blackburn, Burnley, Hartlepool. And if you look over 25 years, the top group uh, house prices have gone up by 628% versus 192 in the bottom group. And that doesn't take into account, that's, that's not in, adjusting for, for inflation. Um, so they, those are the sort of headline figures. Um, but what's quite interesting is if you take those groups and you look at the previous property cycle, which started in, in it ran for basically 10 years from 1995, um, you find this classic effect of leaders and laggards where the the, the top groups um, suddenly spring spring out. And you remember at the time it was the internet uh, boom. Um, London was was roaring and you had this uh, six years of, of really strong price growth. Then you had 9-11, you had the, the Iraq invasion. The bursting um, of the internet bubble. That's right, the bursting of the internet bubble. Um, and London suddenly flattened off. Uh, at the same time as which Gordon Brown uh, put a huge amount of money into public services in the regions and employment really took off there and house prices really took off. So you had some places in the regions with 30% annualised house price growth. And so the regions effectively caught up with London over a 10-year period. There was really not much, uh, not much in it. But the property cycle now, of course, has... So what subsequently happened is is more interesting. And that to, 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 from two thousand and five, we had this soaring uh, of London and the southeast, um, uh, punctuated by the financial crisis. But really, even after that, um, you had a, an even sharper spike in uh, prices in the south of England. Um, and meanwhile, the regional uh, economies were 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 very much affected by uh, the financial crisis. And, and house prices struggled there. Um, so at the moment, we had a three years, uh, the last, the most recent three years. Since the referendum. So yes, exactly. Since the referendum, we have seen a little bit of a reversal of that, where London has, has, has stopped growing. Prices in the prime areas are 25% down, up to as much as 25% down since 2014. And you've had quite a lot of tax changes coming in in London, uh, well, particularly affecting the London market, such as buy-to-let and second homes, um, stamp, stamp duty charges. Um, whereas the in, in that period, the regional uh, markets have, have picked up again. Um, but still, the gap between the two is very big. So since 2005, the top two groups in this Savills uh, topology have have risen by 125% and 109%, whereas the bottom two have risen by 15% and 17%. So that's quite a big gap to be closed. A very big gap indeed. But finally, James, what about the Brexit bounce? Are things on the move again since the election? Well, it's interesting that, that, you know, I mean, the question is, uh, could this gap be closed? And one of the reasons it's worth asking is that Boris Johnson, uh, the new prime minister, has, of course, promised to level up 
uh, the economy and the, the great inequalities in the economy. And if it happens that this price change is bake, baked in, essentially, to house prices from now on, um, it's going to be quite, quite a lot harder to do that because people in the south of England will have so much more wealth stored in their housing equity than those in other parts of the country. Uh, whereas if the cycle reimposes itself, then you it's much easier for, for the government to be able to level the economy up. What's happening is that, you know, at the moment, there is a bit of that closure. But the experts I've spoken to think you'll be hard-pressed to see uh, the gap closed entirely. And uh, in order to do that, so one of them, Richard Donnell from Zoopla, is a, is a researcher at Zoopla, he says that um, if London was to remain flat, the rest of the country would need to rise in terms of prices by 8%. These are the main cities, actually. This is not, this is not everywhere. These are just the main UK mm. cities. In order to get back to the historic average difference, you asked about the Brexit bounce. Yes, there has been a little bit of a change there, which if, you, if you're someone that hopes that London will remain flat while the rest of the country catches up, you'll be slightly disheartened by this because the indicators seem to show that uh, things are picking up again um, across the country, and that includes in the capital. So you have Rightmove posting its, its biggest monthly figures for 20 years, and you have figures from HMRC on transaction levels in the last quarter of 2019, showing a sort of 10-year record for the last quarter of that year. Well, indeed, it does seem like things are restarting again. Um, as ever, if you've got experiences of a property market that you'd like to tell us about, maybe you're trying to sell a house at the moment or worse, trying to buy one and being outbid on your offer, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at FT Money on Twitter or email the team money at ft.com. Well, thanks very much to James Pickford there. You can read his piece, Where Are We in the Property Cycle Now on ft.com slash money. That's it for The Money Show this week, but we will be back next Thursday at the usual time. Goodbye. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.